well, <clears throat> welcome to Why Did You Read That? Question mark. Starring Megan. Co-starring Megan. <laughs> co-starring Megan and also co-starring Peter. You keep, every time, <laughs> I try to turn this into my show. That's right. I'm just slowly trying to uh, shut myself out. Just keep shuffling towards the door until yeah. I'm just talking to myself. Yeah, I consider it my life's work to make myself irrelevant. Well, I'm not going to let you because I'm not doing this alone. I, I even do this at home. I bought this cardigan sweater that my girlfriend hates. She hates it? I think it's, it's fetching. Thank it's you. a little grandpa. You know, it was, it's literally called the retirement cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> and I put it on and she was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then I started walking around like with my back bent over and whatever. And I was like, this is the future for Use us. Use tissues in the pocket? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is our future. And she's like, you look kind of cute all bent over like that, you know. <laughs> She's like, because I'm picturing us being together for a long time, and that's nice. Yeah. But I was like, yeah, see, your emotions will cloud this, and it'll be fine. You know what? Just tell her that Chris Evans made sweaters cool again. Yeah. Me and Chris Evans. Yeah. <laughs> Make her watch Knives Out and say, see, I'm on trend. I saw, I watched that without her, so I can't bring it up because it's a sore subject. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't supposed to, but I didn't, you? I didn't know. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is a podcast where we talk about books. Yes. Um, but first, we usually start with a joke. Yes. I do you have, have a, joke. a joke? Okay. Are you ready? Yes. What do you call birds that stick together? I don't know. Velcros. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. I was thinking of something with flock, and I couldn't get there. Well, that is the saying, birds of a feather, feather flock together. I think that's the problem. Yeah. Flock together. That's all I could think of. Yep. That's a good one. Thank you. I'm a fan of crows. I think you know this. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it speaks to my heart. I like crows, too, because they seem cruel. <laughs> They're not cruel. I don't, for some reason, I think birds, to me, seem mean-spirited. I mean, they can be. If they decide they don't like you, like crows specifically remember people and they will hate you forever. My sister-in-law is like a fan of exotic birds. Like she doesn't own any, but she's interested in them. Yeah. But she's told me many stories about parrots who are seem mean-spirited. You well, know, they're very smart. Yeah. So maybe those two things go together. They like to destroy things. I remember hearing, I can't remember where it was, but it was on some radio show and a guy went to a boxing gym where they had a parrot and the parrot would always crush his stopwatch and just destroy it in his beak. And so then finally this guy was like, so I got wise and I brought a decoy stopwatch that was already broken. And so the bird would like walk along the ropes all the way around the boxing ring. So he's like, what I would do is I'd have to put my stopwatch on the opposite side. So then I had enough time. It took the, the parrot long enough that I could rescue the stopwatch so then I got this decoy stopwatch, and the parrot did not fall for it at all. <laughs> like, never tried to crush the decoy stopwatch, always got the new one. <laughs> They're very smart. Ravens and parrots have the large brains in the bird world. Yeah. We can discuss how I know that, perhaps, depending on which of my books you pick. You know, I heard a definition of evil is 
the person who knows the most and cares the least. Mm. So they could be the birds that know the most and care the least. Maybe. Care, certainly care the least about the things I care about. Maybe. Uh, anyway, on this show, we talk about uh, books. Yes. We tend to have a different taste. And uh, so I bring four books. Megan brings four books. Um, I'll pick two of her books to hear about in depth, and she'll pick two of my books to hear about in depth. And uh, then the show kind of wraps up. Usually we have a meander here and there about yeah. crows and parrots. Yep. Um, the occasional strange tangent about grandpa sweaters. Yeah, yep. It's uh, the Duluth Trading Retirement Sweater, if you want to look it up mm. and get an idea of what I'm you wearing. You know, if they get a little spike in sales, uh, you should ask them for a kickback. We should, yeah. Oh, we could have our first sponsor. <laughs> Use our offer code, uh, Grandpa Sweaters. And yeah. <laughs> don't actually type that in. It's not going to work. <laughs> it might. I don't know. Well, I guess you could try it. What's yeah. it going to hurt? Just start, you know, if ever you have an offer code, type in, why did you read that with a question mark? See what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Would be unfortunate if someone programmed it in and it's like, we just added $5 because you were <laughs> fooling around on our system. <laughs> Coupon code Y. <laughs> Okay, so should I, me starting means I tell you about my books first? Yes, correct. Okay. One of these weeks, or one of these months, we're going we're gonna to be so on the ball and we're going to know the answers to all these questions. In addition to not liking my sweaters, my girlfriend is uh, very organized. Mm -hmm. I call her my personal filing cabinet. Yeah. Um, I, I know her and I, I believe you 100%. She can uh, spread a spreadsheet like nobody's business. Yes. Maybe what I need to do is may have her make a schedule for me. Ooh. And then... Put her in charge of us. She can be our grown-up. Oh, yeah. This is good. <laughs> I'm offering you the job of grown-up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here are my four books. Okay. They are all comics this month. Ooh, an all-comic month. I, I was laid up for a few days, so I, I read like 30 comics Wow. Uh, this last month. Um, okay, the first is called, I'm going to do my best with the Japanese here, The Birth of Kitaro by Shigeru Mizuki. This is an older comic that is about a um, sort of a ghost boy Okay. who is like, uh, kind of goes on Japanese versions of ghost adventures. Okay. Uh, the next one is called Penny Nichols by M.K. Reed. This is about a lady who's in her 30s who gets uh, mixed up in a good way with a group of, like, indie horror filmmakers. Ooh. And so she gets involved in helping them make a movie. Okay. The third one is called Nailbiter by Joshua Williamson. This is a series about a small town in Oregon, um, which is, it's a teeny tiny town, and 16 serial killers have come from there. <laughs> Yikes. I'm not sure a teeny town can support that many serial killers. Well, they go, they go out into the world to okay. do their, their okay. business. And then, you know, sometimes return. But they've had a, a very disproportionate number of serial killers <laughs> come from their area. All right. Uh, the last one is The Drifting Classroom by Katsuo Umez. Um, this is, uh, I would describe it as a Japanese comic book version of Lord of the Flies. 
Okay. That's uh, very harrowing. Okay. Got some good ones this week. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to have to start with Penny Nichols. Okay. Because indie horror stuff. You know I love horror. So Penny Nichols is a... She's a, the you know titular character is Penny, and uh, she's working a booth at like a health convention for her. She's kind of doing her sister a solid. Okay. Her sister sells uh, like you know vitamin juice that tastes horrible, and Penny is there to kind of like push samples and do whatever. And they, the lady she's working with isn't her sister. She's working with her sister's business partner and. The business partner is kind of like subtly saying that Penny is kind of a slob and whatever, which is kind of true. I mean, Penny is hard to describe. And this is what I think I liked most about this book is I put, I wrote down that she's a 30 something charming scumbag. (laughs) (laughs) That's a backhanded compliment if I've ever heard one. She's very lovable, and she's, like, whatever, but, like, the only way I could think to describe her was, like, she's very fun, and she's, she's like, a good person. She's not, like, an evil scumbag. Mm-hmm. She's just kind of drifting. She's kind of directionless. So, have you seen the movie Uncle Buck? Yes. Would you say that that's an apt comparison? Yeah, I okay. think so. Okay. Maybe it's like you probably see a lot of movies and stuff where there are like guys in this role, uh-huh. like guys who are maybe thirty or so, and they like still have roommates and play a lot of video yeah, games. A little and aimless. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the way I tried to describe her was, I was like, she would be somebody that you would enjoy hanging out with, but then it may at some point cross your mind to be like, I should set her up with this guy that I know. But if you really liked this guy as a friend, you would probably be like, you know what? Never mind. I value my friendship. Yeah. <laughs> not because he would be like, I was disgusted by her, because she would probably, if she was not interested in him, she would probably say something mean to him. <laughs> and they would have a really unpleasant time. I kind of thought of her as like the bizarro manic pixie dream girl. Okay. So she's like really enjoyable to hang out with as a character in a book and everything. But she's not like, it's like what I liked about her is she's not like in a a, a teen drama where it's like, uh, this is like the hottest babe ever, but she's got on glasses and an overalls. She's all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I can still tell that's Rachel Lee Cook. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> like, <laughs> Glasses don't make you ugly, dear. <laughs> no. The glasses are transparent. Did you guys know? Yeah, like, yeah. They're pretty small compared to the entirety <laughs> of a human person. Yeah. Anne Hathaway in The Princess Diaries. It's yeah. Like, your hair's a little frizzy, so you're hideous. Yeah. Yeah, it's hilarious because, like, you know, and usually they're in, like, high school or something, yeah. right? And I'm like, I didn't know a lot in high school. But I think if there was somebody as attractive as Anne Hathaway in my high school, but she had, like, frizzy, weird hair... I think I could get past that pretty fast. Yeah. I think I'd be willing to overlook a lot more than frizzy hair. (laughs) Believe me. (laughs) Like, anyway. So Penny Nichols is kind of like the legit version of that. Okay. Where you're like, you know, she's not perfect, but she's not horrible either. Yeah. So anyway, she's kind of drifting and uh, she's working like a catering job or something. 
and she um the there's other people working the job like videographers for the wedding okay and she kind of stumbles into they're like shooting some scenes and stuff because they're gonna make a movie at this venue and she's like oh what kind of movie and it's like a horror movie and so they get to talking she kind of hits it off with one of the people in a friendly non-romantic way and so then he's like hey do you want to like work on our movie with us she's like sure so the story basically is about how they make this movie and she kind of develops these friendships and she becomes sort of a needed part of this team because she's actually pretty good at doing some of the things that they're not very good at. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the guys is like uh, into the writing part, you know, and he's a creative, but he is not good at like scheduling or like putting the shooting uh, schedule together and Mm -hmm. stuff. And she's really good at that. So she kind of like comes into her own with this group a little bit and then um, develops some nice friendships. I also like it because it's not like a, uh, a lot of these kind of stories are go like a love story angle. Mm-hmm. And it's all about like, when is she going to find a man, you know, and, <laughs> which is fine, but it's just, that's not my cup of tea. And this doesn't really go there. This is a little bit more focused on just Penny as an individual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I, I won't say more about the plot than that. It's just, it's a fun read. The art is really cool because it's um, the characters and stuff are really clean lines and stuff, but the backgrounds are really detailed a lot of spots. Okay. And it's kind of got these two themes in it that I really like. I think one of them is that um, your late 20s and early 30s is like a really weird time. Yeah. I think a lot of people are in a spot there where it's like you have like a quarter life crisis or I don't know. When I was, like, 28, I think that was, like, the worst time of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I, someone told me that. They were like, oh, yeah, like, astrologically or something, 27, 28 is the worst years of your life. He told me this on my birthday (laughs) when I was turning 28. I don't know. I think there's a strong argument to be made for, like, junior high, middle school. Yeah. I think, yeah, I agree. If I had to relive one, it would probably be. Yeah. Because at least I could like drive a car. I mean, yeah, yeah. Live independently, make yeah. your own money. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly better. But anyway, it's like a weird time. I think a lot of people are sort of like at that time of their life being like, should I pursue something that's a dream? Should I like yeah. have a steady career? Yeah. The world sees you as a full adult, but you don't necessarily feel like you are yet. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least I didn't. Yeah. And you're like, you know, you're not, you're not like a young parent if you have a kid at that point, but you're not too old to have yeah. a kid at that point. You know, it's like a weird, drifty time yeah. of life in a lot of ways. You're both young and mature. Yeah. Yeah. And there aren't a lot of stories I see that I think address that time. And then the other thing I like about it is it's kind of a story about um, making things and doing things just kind of for the fun of it. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be about like, career or You're a master of that I, i'm pretty good at doing things for no reason yep. i have a giant paper mache skull mask in my garage right now <laughs> that i've been working on for months <laughs> just in case you're curious about the latest 
Yeah, one of my first questions when I see Peter is, you know, what are you up to these days? Yeah. <laughs> it's usually something... Bookbinding. Silly. Yeah. Yeah, you did that for a while. Yeah, still, still rocking that. Yeah. Binding comics together into unwieldy, ridiculous volumes. It's funny, bookbinding, because you can put comics together into a big book, right? But you start to discover that, like, at some point, there's too many in there, and it's physically taxing to read the book. Because <laughs> it's like, you have to set up, set up in bed with a wedge so that you can <laughs> read it. Because if you try and hold it, I'm like, oh, my biceps are sore. <laughs> this is how you keep fitting in your, in your dotage. I guess so, yeah. Really fill out that retirement sweater with yeah, exactly. the guns. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so anyway. That sounds fun. It, it's a lot of fun. It was like, it was just, yeah, a very pleasant, fun read. I feel like I was like mean to Penny as a character. And I, I don't mean to, I really enjoyed her a lot. I, I think for me, it rang more as like one of us, you know? Like, yes, a lot of times you you have characters who get idealized in books. Yeah. And I don't know about everybody listening, but I am far from ideal. She felt real. Yeah. Yeah, and when I call her, like, a scumbag, I'm like, I say this as, you know, Lord of the Sewers. Like, I'm not like, <laughs> oh, she's beneath me. I'm like, she's a scumbag, which means she's still well above me. Yeah. Just not as above me as, you know. Well, just to give people maybe some, some reference about you, like I totally took it the way you intended because we have gone to like staff development days uh -huh. together as work friends and you have come in what you personally described as your scumbum outfit. Yeah, yep. Which was just, we have, you know, the ability to not wear professional clothes on those days because we're not working with the public. We're just learning stuff. Yep. And you would just come in like sweatpants and a ratty t-shirt. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it was always like, oh, you know, you can dress dress casually however mm -hmm. you would normally. And I think I was the only one who took <laughs> took that literally. Everyone else was like, okay, I'll wear jeans. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be crazy and wear my jeans today. <laughs> Better make sure I get those ironed before tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, what did I wake up in today? Yeah. All right, then. <laughs> Is there a stain? Oh, well. Hey, it happens. <laughs> so there you go. Penny Nichols by M.K. Reed. All right. Are you ready for mine? I am ready. I have a feel. Well, no, I know that mine are very different from yours. So <laughs> prepare yourself. Okay. Uh, my first book is called Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. And it is a romance novel. It is a little different from my normal romance novel in that it is very emotional. It deals with people with like troubled childhoods and that have like extended to an extent into their adulthoods and how they deal with their problems, both individually and as a potential couple, I guess is the simplest way to say that. It gets, there's a lot more going on than that, but it's too complicated for a brief description. Fair enough. <laughs> Second uh, is Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker. And it's a combination of a family biography and a scientific journalism kind of piece about schizophrenia. So it's about a Colorado family from uh, Colorado Springs, and they had 12 children, six of whom were diagnosed with schizophrenia. 
And so it's about them and also about how researching them helped advance our understanding of schizophrenia as a mental illness. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of heavier ones. Yeah. Uh, and then straight into a pure popcorn, uh, the Kaiju Preservation Society <laughs> by John Scalzi, which is like a monster movie in book form, basically. Um, there's an alternate universe where instead of people, there are like Godzilla-like creatures roaming the land. And there's a society intent on preserving them and keeping them from wandering over into our world as the inspiration for Godzilla did when they made that movie. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and finally, The Raven Master by Christopher Scaife. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. Um, which is like a memoir with some history and some study of birds. I don't know if you're familiar with the Tower of London in London. Uh, there is a legend that if the ravens at the tower ever leave, the empire will fall. Oh. So there is a royal decree that there will always be at least six ravens at the tower, <laughs> and he is in charge of caring for them. And so he talks a lot about birds and bird behavior and the history of the tower, which is where like Anne Boleyn was beheaded and Chris, uh, Catherine Howard was beheaded and the two princes were walled up in the wall, they think. All of that good stuff. And also a little bit of his own personal memoir about how he became a, a yeoman warder hmm. and the Raven Master. Okay. Well, you gave me three heavies and a light. Yeah. I think I'm going to start with one of the heavies. Okay. So then we can end on a lighter thing. But I'm having a hard time picking. I think I'm pretty interested in that Hidden Valley Road. Okay. That one sounded pretty cool. It was heavy. Yeah. Like, you're not wrong when you say heavy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I say cool, I'm not like, radical, good, t you know, yeah. but uh It was very interesting. And I did yeah. walk away feeling like I had a somewhat stronger understanding of schizophrenia. Okay. Which is a complicated illness, and they actually now think might be a suite of illnesses on the autism spectrum. Mm. Like you have autism at the low spectrum all the way up to full-blown schizophrenia at the high end. Okay. But it's remarkable how little we actually know about how this all works. Right. <laughs> so basically, um, it starts out as like a family biography. So you have the two parents. Um, it's the Galvin family. And uh, one is, a he was in the military. Um, he had some trauma in the military um, during the war. I forget exactly what it was, but they think it might have left a hint of PTSD. And this was back in like the, I would say it's probably Korean War era. Okay. So it's not like we were as enlightened about some of that then sure. as we are now. And the mother is Mimi. And she had, you know, some troubled things in her past as well. Her father ended up leaving and... I don't know, but, you know, just regular life stuff, but stuff that leaves a mark on you. Sure. So they met and they married and Mimi wanted lots of children. <laughs> Obviously, they ended up with 12. 12 um, seems Donovan's like a... Catholic, so they believed okay. in big families. And she, not only did she want a big family, but she wanted the status of seeming to almost effortlessly be able to handle everything. So she had this big family, she made the clothes, she did big dinners, she was involved in like the arts, you know, and all of that stuff. So she it was kind of like, I don't know how she does it. You know, she, she wanted to be the I don't know how she does it mom, right? Gotcha. She's like a, 
real life Martha Stewart exactly. situation. Yeah. yeah. And super bomb and all right. of it. But in actuality, like having that many kids and the first 10 kids were boys. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it resulted in a lot of chaos in the house, um, and you know the boys would fight, and they were out of control. The you know Don, the father, he was a little bit of a hands-off kind of a dad. Like you know, you can't coddle them, you can't hold their hands, let them work it out on their own. Sure. So everything kept escalating until eventually, like there were concussions and like <laughs> big problems, uh-huh. <laughs> and. Because there are so many children, there were large age gaps. Yeah, right. And so when there were still like babies in the house, the oldest son got diagnosed with, well, he, he had some kind of an issue. They still weren't sure what it was. He went off to college, became obsessed with a woman that he ended up marrying. Um, she started to become scared of him because he was having, he was starting to, you know, exhibit symptoms of schizophrenia mm-hmm. and divorced him. And he started like obsessively following her. He tried to kill her, tried to commit suicide. And uh, that was like the first indication that there was a problem. Okay. So the story ends up being a lot about how they recognized that there were issues, the ways in which they were treated, and sometimes how the treatment was as bad or worse than the illness. So this would have been like the treatment part, 70s or 80s probably? Okay. Yeah, 70s, 80s. Sounds about right. Okay. And um, the youngest two children were daughters, and they, unfortunately, neither of them ever were diagnosed with any kind of mental illness, but they were around it their entire life, (laughs) and a lot of it was uncontrolled, because Mimi believed very much in keeping her sick children home with her, uh, not Mm. institutionalizing them, which, honestly, if you look at the way institutions were at the time, kind of makes sense. (laughs) It's like they weren't great. Uh, and the option was Pueblo, and you hear you read mm-hmm. some horror stories in the book about things that were going on in the in the Pueblo hospital. Now, is this also part of her sort of like? Was she like still keeping up appearances, kind of thing? Too? She was like, trying, but like the neighbors knew because the cops were there a lot. It was like impossible to. Yeah. Okay. And you know that one of the sons would be running down the street naked. Like, right. <laughs> there comes a point where you can't hide it anymore. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, and you feel terrible. Um, You end up reading a lot about, like, physical abuse, sexual abuse, mental illness. Eventually, one of the daughters was removed from the home, and they chose to do it. They sent her to family friends, and she lived with family friends and went to a private school for a while. Mm -hmm. And she felt like she had been sent away and abandoned by the family. And Uh. meanwhile, the other daughter felt like she had been abandoned, and she was left in this, you know, home with lots of mentally ill brothers. Right. And so it was like, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of sadness, a lot of heavy topics. And there's like no one really to blame. Like everybody made mistakes, but there's no avoiding any of it. Like they, um, the scientific part, they, you know, talk about how, and it does get fairly deep into the science. Okay. How this family ended up being a bit of a goldmine for research because they were able to look at the genetics of both six siblings and well siblings right. and see if they had genetic markers that were different, right. if they had genetic markers that were shared, right. you know, what, what looked the same, what looked different. And what they ended, they ended up finding, I think, like in the hundreds, genetic markers that could signify some relationship to having schizophrenia. 
Interesting. Which is great, but also not super helpful because how do you treat something when you have 200 potential genes right. to target? You're like, well, we have 200 <laughs> things that could mean nothing. Right. Or could mean something really significant. Exactly. <laughs> oh, jeez. There's a really cool story of one scientist, though, who developed um, a test that couldn't diagnose you with schizophrenia, but could indicate whether or not you were susceptible to it. Oh, okay. And it was called like the gating, the sensory gating test. So he would just have you put on like headphones or something. He would play a click in one ear and measure your brain waves. So the first click, your brain waves spike. And then in a typical brain, the second click, they would be less high because your, your brain has been like, okay, I know this sound. Here it comes. It's the same sound. Yeah. Okay nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. People who could develop schizophrenia had the same reaction to the second click as the first. Oh. So it was like their brain is being inundated with sensory information all the time. And it doesn't mean you will get it. It just means that you might. Right. And he developed, um, after all of this genetic testing and they did like the, the human genome project and all of that, he developed a treatment that involves taking extra choline during pregnancy. And it reduced your chances of having the sensory gating issue by like a significant percent. What? All you need to do is take a vitamin. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that wild? That's really weird. Yeah. So lots of cool stories Does, is like that. Is that like still relevant? Like, is that still yeah. true? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, now I, th I think it's part of prenatal vitamins. Now you, okay. get, a, you get a mega dose of choline in prenatal vitamins huh. um, because it's not going to hurt anything. Right. And it could help with the sensory gating thing. Wow. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything about whether or not you'll develop schizophrenia. Sure. But it's not going to hurt anything. Yeah. Well, why not? Yeah. Why not give it a shot, right? Yeah. That's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. I was wondering about that, if it got into the science of, you know... I think with a lot of this stuff, there's a lot of, like, nature-nurture questions. Yeah, it gets into that a lot. And, yeah. Like, when they were first getting diagnosed, the popular theory in psychiatry was that it was the mother's fault, literally. <laughs> <laughs> like, 100%. Well, they have a meddlesome mother who's controlling, and it's her fault that they're sick. Oh, so it was, it was all nurture, and it was all the mother's yes. style of nurturing. And I'm reading this, and she wasn't a perfect woman. Mm-hmm. But you're reading it, and you're like, you have this, you're, you're faced with six desperately ill sons. Yeah. And you have a doctor saying, like, well, you did it. Yeah. How terrible. Well, great. Yeah. <laughs> it is, what a weird, uh, weird diagnosis or, yeah. like, weird, weird theory of how this yeah. would happen. Yeah, and it was widely accepted. That's really strange. Yeah. I wonder what a meddlesome mother consisted of at the time this theory was. You know what I mean? Like, would it be more involved than today? Or, like, would today's helicopter, helicopter parent parents. be like, that's nothing? Ah, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah. Because, I mean, what is meddlesome? Like, it's not like there's a, a line where it's like, oh, now you crossed the line. You caused yeah. your child mental illness. Yeah, well, and it seems like different kids would probably find different levels of that annoying or not annoying. Yeah. You know? I don't know. That's a lot yeah. of uh, odd questions. Yeah, it's it's heavy. And in the end, like, we still don't entirely know. Like, I think this book is a couple years old now. 
And at the time it was written, you know, they, they now have an idea of which genes might contribute to schizophrenia, and they have an idea that it might be related to a spectrum of illnesses. Like maybe schizophrenia is not one thing. Right. You know, because you can be schizophrenic and hear voices. You can be schizophrenic and be paranoid. Right. You know, but are they the same schizophrenia? Right. So they're starting to investigate some of that. Right. You know. Almost like there's some other thing in the schizophrenia thing is like the emergent force, the measurable yeah. effect of what's happening or yeah, something. Yeah, maybe. Huh. Like there's, there's a lot of question marks. A lot of question marks. And what's interesting is that the youngest daughter of the family has a daughter now who is college age. And at the time of writing this book, she was pre-med at CU where they have her grandfather's brain. <laughs> so she's studying schizophrenia at a college that some of her family attended and that has her grandfather's brain for medical research. Still, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so she, you know, it ends with her wondering like how, how much time she would have to spend in study before they would let her see it. Yeah. I would think, shouldn't they let you see your grandpa's brain if you want to? <laughs> I mean... I mean, I don't know. Is that is that some kind of a weird, like, signifier of strangeness if you if you just want to see it like she's researching schizophrenia but if you're just like i wonder what my grandpa's brain looks like can i see it is that a, is that a little odd right i was gonna say no but then the reason i was gonna say no is because like i would do that so now i'm <laughs> i'm rethinking my whole premise here because i'm like yeah maybe it is weird uh, maybe it's not but it just i don't think i would want to see any of my relatives brains i think that would be weird well, I think if they were like, we have your grandpa's brain in a jar or something, I mean, I guess I'd have some questions. And if they were like, well, we have it. And then I was like, can I see it? And they said, no. I'd be like, what do you mean, no? Like, all these other people could see it? That's my grandpa. What? This is, yeah. it seems like an odd standard. Yeah. What, what would I have to do to see my grandpa's brain? Be a schizophrenia researcher. Uh, can I be an amateur? What are those? Does that <laughs> like amateur detectives who solve crimes on the internet? Yeah, I don't know. Can I just be uh, interested in my grandpa? I don't know. I don't know. I guess weird. we'll have to have people email the library with their opinions about whether or not that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. One of us is weird. Or maybe neither of us are weird. Maybe both are normal reactions. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> if the option is neither of us are weird, one of us is weird, or both are weird, I find neither of us are weird to be the least likely <laughs> scenario. In this particular way, I'm not arguing <laughs> that I'm not weird. Okay, not in general. <laughs> yeah, well, let us know, let us know what you think. Would you, would you go see the brain? If your grandpa's brain was there, or would you think it was weird to go see the brain? Yeah. Or would you maybe think it's weird and do it anyway? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. That sounds like quite the book. It was a lot. Uh, it was heavy reading, but it was, ultimately, I was really glad that I had read it, because I think I came in with some preconceived notions about what schizophrenia was and wasn't. Uh, and it's not like I walked away with like some sense of empowerment of feeling like I understood people with schizophrenia better or felt able to help them. I still don't. Yeah. 
but I do feel more informed and I always feel like that's a good thing. It always helps, right? Yeah. And then like when you see stuff about it in the future or whatever, you're like, I have a little more context right. to understand this. Yeah. I may understand something that someone's talking about. Yeah. I at least am not filled with misinformation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other side of that, right? Yeah. Where you're like, well, I have enough background now that when I see something that is probably total nonsense, right? I can immediately figure out that it's probably total nonsense. Yeah. Well, and this was a book that I read for my book club. And so there were several people in there who said, I came in thinking schizophrenia was like multiple personalities. Oh, right. So, you know, it is, it's one of those things that has been in our consciousness since, you know, modern times started. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean we understand it. Right. Right. It's weird how these things sort of float through time. Yeah. And continue to exist. And we're still kind of like, eh? Yeah. A human brain. There's a lot going on up there. Yeah, it turns out. Yeah. There, it does affect the structure of your brain, so you can do a brain scan of someone with schizophrenia, and it looks different. Oh. Yeah. That's strange. Yeah. Hmm. Good to know. Yeah. So would you, if they were like, we're doing a, you know, they would come to the school and do like head lice check or whatever, and they're like, hey, we can scan your brain. And see, would you do it? Well, the thing is, it doesn't um, hit until like after puberty. Oh, right. So it would have to be after that point. And as far as like doing a DNA test to see if you have like some of the gene markers that could see, I don't think I would want to because you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Necessarily. Now, although they think that there might be some combination of like, you know, what's happening in your environment and what's happening in your brain, but they don't know what it is if it's, you know, something that, like a trauma that happens to you? Is it right. something that, like an illness that you had? Is it something you ate? Right. Is it a chemical you came into contact with? Right. You know, they have no idea still. So if you did find out, you'd probably be like, well, yeah, there's probably nothing I could do about yeah. this. I mean, you could maybe start seeing a therapist and start setting up some monitoring, but that's kind of all. Set up some, like, uh, safeguards yeah. to... Just be like, well, this is a possibility, yeah. so... I'm going to start caring for my mental health now on the off chance. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to call it sick tomorrow. I'm feeling pretty agitated. <laughs> now I'm just picturing, like, at our, you know, annual staff day, doing... They're like, okay, now we're going to have a head lice check, and then we're going to do... I don't know what else they did. Check like your genetic and markers. And I check, and, and yeah. blood pressure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you get to take the comb home with you. <laughs> Fancy. Yeah. Fancy life's comb. Yeah. It's weird that they do that when you're in school and then like never again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like why why when you're in school and then they're just like, well, hope your eyes stay the same. You're on your own. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I have hearing issues and I've often thought that, you know, I haven't seen an audiologist since I was in like high school. Yeah. I'm like, maybe I should go see one. I don't just have someone look at my ears and say, yep, still hearing impaired. Yeah. <laughs> but it hasn't gotten worse. Well, no, it's just like, I've never been somewhere and they're like, hey, do you want to check your hearing and like, whatever? And I'm like, no, that seems fine. I don't know. It's weird that they just like, once yeah. you're not, once you're like over 12, they're like, yeah, they're fine. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the next 90 years. <laughs> it's not like you're going to be in college and go to a bunch of really loud concerts yeah. without headphones. 
Right. Like it's not like the things that would damage my eyes or my ears or whatever are going to happen in my 20s. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, you've also given me lots to think about in your choices. Mm-hmm. But I have to say I'm super interested in Nailbiter. Okay. So Nailbiter by Joshua Williamson. It's, uh, that's the name of the, the series. There are six volumes in the series, and then I think they did like they've started up again a secondary series. But like the a good... spinoff or a continuation? I think it's kind of a continuation. I don't know. It could be a prequel or a reboot. I don't. I don't really know. Okay. I yeah. read the six, which is like the beginning, middle, and end, and uh, so you can you can just read those six okay. and not even have to worry about the other ones. Which is one of the reasons I wanted to recommend it, because it's kind of nice when you can read the entire series, and it yeah. doesn't take like a super long time, and you don't have to. Um, I've read a lot of comics, and so you don't say. Yeah. <laughs> so if I have to wait like a year between volumes mm-hmm. to come out, I barely, I, I won't remember. Yeah. Because I'll be like, was this the one with the robot boy? Yeah. Was this the one where they found the hidden swamp thing or whatever? And, you know, and then I'm like, no, it's none of the... I don't even... Yeah, am I is, sure I read this? This is a thing I struggle with with uh, graphic novels. I was reading Saga and loving it. Yeah. But eventually I lost track of where I was in the series because I was waiting for the next one. And so I've never finished it. Yeah. Even though I was really enjoying it. Yeah, there's this really good series called East of West that I really, really like. And it is finally over, but the last volume hasn't come out yet, like yeah. in a collected version. And that's what I'm waiting for, because I, I read the first one and then went to read the second one, and I was like, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Because it's like alternate history, there's like, uh, you know, cowboys and like space people, and it's all over the place. There's death personified. And so then, like, by the time you get to the volume two a year later, you're like, what? Yeah. What even is this? So, yeah, I have to wait. Yeah. So this one, you can read the whole arc. Yeah, that's nice. And get the entire story. You don't have to wait a year in between. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a town in Oregon called Buckaroo, Oregon. I don't know what the population is exactly, but it's like, let's say like a thousand. I mean, it's a small, small town. Okay. And uh, they've had 16 serial killers come from there. And, you know, and that's in recent history. That they know of. Yeah, that they know of. And from sort of recent history, like maybe the, uh, I don't know, 50s to the 2000s. Okay. And so, you know, each of these killers also has kind of like a signature quirk. Like there's a, the first one was the book burner. So he like uh, burned down bookstores and libraries and stuff like that because when he was a kid, he had like some kind of reading issue and kids made fun of him in school. So he like took it out on books and readers. I was that's not the book's fault. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're talking like a librarian. Leave the books alone. <laughs> So he, like, that's how he kills people is he's, like, burns down bookstores and libraries and all kinds of stuff. Okay. There's a, you know, and some of them are, like, more entertaining in a dark way. Like, there's the clown car killer who uh, went on a spree and tried to fit as many people into a car as he could. You know, as many corpses. 
Oh, into, oh okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. He's also dressed as a clown just because, you know, why? If you're a serial killer, I guess why not? Just really go for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> and so then there is a, a killer who's known as the nail biter. And what he would do is his victims, he would like bite off their fingernails. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was kind of his like That's weird. Disgusting. Yep. <laughs> He's one of our main characters. Mm, delightful. Um, yeah, because he, the the story opens, and he's uh, been just was on trial, but basically got off on a technicality. Okay. And so he's in no trouble for you know killing like ten people, and is just living in his cabin in Buckaroo, Oregon again, and. Uh, there's a police sheriff, then there's an out-of-town, like, FBI guy, and then there's a third character, and this third character has come to Buckaroo to try and figure out, like, what is going on, why are all these killers coming from here? Uh-huh. And it's weird because only very recently in the story has Buckaroo become famous for this, you know, and this guy who's investigating was, like, the first person who was, like, Wait a minute. Why are all these killers coming from this one tiny There's a town? There's common thread here. <laughs> yeah, something is up here. So he goes to investigate and then goes missing. So the sheriff and this FBI guy kind of team up to try and find uh, him and what's happened to him. And they end up sort of having to team up with the nail biter. And it's sort of like a Silence of the Lambs situation. Oh, okay. But then you also get a mix of small town stuff because it turns out like the sheriff went to prom with the nail biter (laughs) before he was the nail biter and uh the fbi guy has kind of a dark past and there's a lot of you know different elements going on here okay so that's kind of the plot of the whole thing is they're trying to find this guy but overall trying to figure out like why do so many serial killers come from here like, what is going on? What's different here? You know, is it something's in the water? Is there some kind of curse? You know, who knows what's going on? A low-level hum that's driving everyone up a wall. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a a cast of sort of reoccurring characters. Like, there's a, there's a guy who's basically trying to cash in, so he opens, like, the murder store. With like a bunch of artifacts and exit through the gift shop. Yes, <laughs> he's a very P.T. Barnum character. Yeah, except uh, you know, murder of people instead of elephants, animal abuse. I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe he's a P.T. Barnum. I should. Say. <laughs> um, and you know, there's other other killers kind of come in and out of the story depending on what's going on, and and there's always the question too of like. Could there be others out there? Um, could there be other people, you know, who nobody knows came from here or what they're doing or whatever? Yeah. So it's it's good. It's like a, a pretty good pacing to the series and stuff. It starts to, uh, okay, volume five of six, there's like a weird crossover issue with another title um, that you could just choose to completely ignore. So if you don't know what's going on, Um, in this one issue and why there's like this weird goth girl who's teamed up with like a guy in a futuristic Jason mask. (laughs) It's fine to be confused by that. All right. Don't worry about it. 
I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they included that in the the volumes because I was like, this is just confusing. But they did. All right. Remain calm and skip it. Just don't worry about it. If you're like, (laughs) who are these people? What is happening? Why is this happening? Uh, Understand that as a comics person who knows those characters, I was also like, why are you doing this? (laughs) But it's nice because you can read the entire arc. Um, The characters all kind of have an ending of some kind. You know, there's, like, some exploration of those big questions of, like, why is this happening? Where is this happening? Yeah. And so on. Um, so if you're into, like, I don't know, thrillers that are a little on the dark side, mm-hmm. like maybe, like, Chelsea Kane books. Oh, I like Chelsea Kane. Yeah, stuff like that. It's got some humor to it as well. Um, one of those things where you're like, who can I trust? Yeah. You know, situation... This is probably a pretty pretty good. It's got okay. some, and those small town elements in it too. It's a little Twin Peaksy, probably. Okay. Yeah, it was a good read. Cool. I mean, it sounds interesting. Yeah. I'd I'd give it a whirl, and it's you know it's not a comic that everybody's yeah. heard of, so. Yeah, absolutely. There you go, nail biter. Cool. Um, well, I obviously have to hear about the Kaiju what? Preservation Society. How, By John how could I have ever guess that yeah. you would be interested in the Kaiju Preservation Society? <laughs> uh, so this is brand new. I think it's actually out this week. So oh. brand, brand new. Um, and it's by John Scalzi. And I'm going to like open with what I read in his afterword because I thought that it was interesting. Because So um, he was writing this book during, during the start of the pandemic. Ah. And he writes about how he was under contract to write this very big, serious sci-fi book. Mm -hmm. You know, it's exploring the big themes and the questions. And he found himself just completely unable to engage with it. Like, he had lost the spoons (laughs) and wasn't able to deal. Right. So he had this idea for this book, and he contacted his editor and was like, look, I can't write that other book. Um, (laughs) How about this one? And they said, sure. So this is what came out of it. And it opens at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, like during lockdown. Okay. Or right before lockdown, basically. So the main character's name is Jamie Gray, and he's working for a food delivery app startup. So something like DoorDash or, you know. And um, he's in a meeting with his boss, his billionaire entrepreneur boss, and he's presenting his ideas on securing market share from Uber Eats and how they can leverage, you know, the pandemic to, you know, become successful. And then he is fired by his boss out of nowhere. And then his boss implements all of his ideas anyway. <laughs> yeah. So we got a, a nice evil billionaire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone likes to hate an evil billionaire. And so he's now he's facing down a pandemic He has two roommates who are both Broadway actors. This is in New York. And the theaters are shutting down, so they're out of work. And his third roommate has moved away. And, like, they never saw this roommate. They just saw, like, evidence of their existence, and they paid rent. And so now they're gone. And so they have three out-of-work people staying in this New York apartment and no way to pay the rent. Uh So he ends up delivering food for the food app that fired him. Oh. (laughs) Just to add insult to injury. Wow, yeah. So one day when he's delivering food, he ends up at the door of someone he went to college with. 
and they end up chit-chatting. And eventually it comes about that the guy he went to college with is working for this company that has had a, an unexpected vacancy in their job and they need to fill it quickly. And he basically gives him a business card and he's like, here, go here for an interview. Basically, we work with large animals and you'll be lifting things. <laughs> now, you're holding a book in your hands that on the cover says Kaiju Preservations. Yes. And you're like, large animals, you say. Yeah. So when Jamie is like, oh, so probably like polar bears, right? Right. You're like, mm. or, you know, bigger. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes to this interview where it turns out that his like unfinished dissertation on science fiction is a big thumbs up in his corner for getting this job. Okay. He gets hired, he gets his non-disclosure agreement, and he gets a billion vaccines, <laughs> including an experimental COVID vaccine that he has to pretend he doesn't have. <laughs> and then they fly off to Greenland to this abandoned like military base that okay. has like a nuclear generator on it. Okay. And it turns out that this nuclear generator has thinned the divide between two parallel worlds. And so they're able to go through to this other parallel world, which is filled with kaiju. Mm -hmm. Who, for anyone who doesn't know what kaiju are, it's basically, think Godzilla. <laughs> like, your Godzillas, your Mothras. Yes. Your, your giant... Giant monsters, yeah. basically. Okay. So they are there to study these kaiju, to... Um, ostensibly keep them safe, although really there's not much to keep them safe from. Um, and really what they're there to do is make sure that they don't accidentally cross over into our world. Mm. So a big chunk of the novel is just all the cool stuff you want out of a novel like this. It's them like in helicopters flying around giant monster heads and like <laughs> getting fire breathed at them and stuff like that. Jurassic Parky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all the best parts of Jurassic Park. <laughs> And then, of course, there's the inevitable thing that goes wrong. Yep. Because there has to be, right? Yep. And I'm not going to go into it because it's very <laughs> satisfying. Like, you kind of see it coming as a reader, and then it happens, and you're like, well, saw that coming, and how are they going to get out of it? And then you get to watch them figure out how to deal with the problem. And it's all very fun. <laughs> and so it's um, fantastic, like, action-packed. Um, there's a little bit of science in it, but it's the kind that you can really think about until you kind of understand it, but it's also kind of hand wavy. Yeah. Just like they mention, you know, well, how come an animal this big can exist because of this rule, this like squared cubed rule or something oh, like sure. that? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know about this? Yeah. I it's didn't. something to do with the mass and then the yeah. size. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have some hand wavy answer about why it doesn't matter here. Yeah. So... There's science in it, but if you don't care to understand it, you don't have to. I <laughs> you love can just that. be like, okay, it works because it works. Science. That's that like uh, maybe like uh, the last Avengers movie and the, the, the time travel. Yes. And they started asking science questions and someone was like, just, it's fine. Just go with it. Just don't worry about it. It is and it will be and we're done. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to know why it works. Just yeah. it works. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, yeah. It's really, this is a book that you pick up for the premise and you get what you want. Cool. Like if you're, if you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, giant Godzilla-like monsters roaming the landscape um, sounds like something I'd be interested in, you should read it. Okay. Because <laughs> that's what you're going to get. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's super fun. I read it really fast. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that it's got kind of that origin story too. I feel like I feel like there's going to be a lot of books coming out in the next couple of years where it's like people were trying to write that heavy yeah, great quote unquote novel and yeah. then they were like, "You know what? I got to do something that's more entertaining." Yeah. And I wonder if the world might be better off for that. I mean, speaking for myself, as like as much as I enjoyed reading Hidden Valley Road and yeah, learning yeah. about schizophrenia, I enjoyed myself so much more yeah. with Kaiju Preservation Society, and I walked away feeling better yeah. <laughs> instead of worse. Yeah, well, I think like any anyone who reads probably should have a good variety. Yeah, and it's like, look, you can't just read Hidden Valley Roads all no. the time. Like, and if you can, I concerned for your mental health um make sure you're taking regular walks get outside <laughs> yeah or maybe like hopefully you're watching like super trashy television yeah. or something something <laughs> palate cleanser you're like i'm uh watching my 30th episode of love island today right so. <laughs> let your brain rest <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah i think it's good i think it's good too like i always encourage um we can learn and grow as people from reading yeah but it doesn't have to be that exclusively right. like you can just read something as entertainment too yeah. it's okay i mean to be honest that is my personal reading goal for this year yeah um i spent quite a few years in a row on a book award committee where i had to read specific things yep and i walked away feeling very unmotivated to read anything for a while yeah and it's starting to come back but i think it's coming back because i have decided I'm not going to give myself a reading goal where I have to read a certain number of books this year. I'm not going to say, like, I need to make sure I'm reading at least one mystery and at least one whatever. Right. I'm just going to read what I want to read and be happy with that. And honestly, the only reason I read Hidden Valley Road is because my book club selected it. I yeah. probably wouldn't have read it other than that. Well, you know, that's can, that can be one of the nice things about a book club, yeah. too, is you're like, I ended up reading something I might not have otherwise. Yeah. And... It was kind of difficult in ways, but I, I finished it because I wanted to talk about it. Well, and honestly, it was difficult to read solely because of the content. Yeah. The writing was very, you know, it pulled me right through. It wasn't hard to engage with the writing. Yeah. It was just reading that much about people struggling. Yeah. Brought me down. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, a lot of books, too, it's like time and there's a time for them, right? Yeah. Where you're like, you know, if I read this right now, I think it would succeed in making me feel bad. But I don't know if it would succeed in me, like, pulling benefit from it. Right. So sometimes a book is like, maybe a not now, maybe later. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds cool. It's, I mean, I'm for anyone who was the least bit perked up at the idea of it, I encourage you to go and just read it. Because it was so fun. It's super fast. It's not that long. Yeah. And um, it's just like a fun summer blockbuster in a book. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I think this is what I enjoy about talking to you about books, too, because it's like we've got super heavy nonfiction, whatever, <laughs> and then we've got like wacky, fun, you yeah. know, Jurassic Park with giant monsters, and it's like, yeah, the same person can do both. Like, yeah. you can have it all. We contain multitudes as humans. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
So you want to tell me about your four books? Yes. Run, run us through them again. So I had The Birth of Kitaro by Shigeru Mizuki. Um, so Kitaro is a yokai. Oh, okay. Um, We've talked about yokai before. We have. So yokai is a word that doesn't actually have a translation into English. Um, it's kind of like a monster. It's kind of like a spirit. It's yeah. kind of like a ghost. It's kind of like a demon. It's kind of like a lot of things, but it doesn't really... We don't have yokai in our culture. Right. But um, they can be various things. Some of them are kind of like monsters. Some of them are like ghosts. You know, some are like trickster characters. Mm -hmm. Some are scary. Some are not. Yeah. Um, I wrote, I put some examples. Um, there's a, a kappa. That's a water creature. So it's like a, it's like a fairy tale creature. And it's got like a bowl on its head, like an indent that it fills with water. And if the water drains out, it dies. So it mostly lives in the water, but it comes out to either eat cucumbers or babies, depending on the situation. <laughs> Cucumber or baby. Hmm, I think it's something light today. But if you run into one, the trick is you bow to it, and it's very polite, so it'll bow back to you and it'll dump out all its water. Oh. <laughs> um, there's one called a shoujo, which is sort of like an alcoholic Bigfoot. He... <laughs> He, he brews his own sake, and he sits on the beach and just drinks. And then he'll offer you some if you come. And if you're pure of heart, it'll be, like, the best thing you've ever tasted. And if you're a jerk, it'll taste horrible. Hmm. All right. Um, so, you know, there's some, like, that are benign like yeah. that. They just kind of... And then there's a baku, which is a dream eater. And it, like, eats nightmares. So that's, like, a desirable character and if you're in japan you can find things like pillows and stuff with uh baku on them okay so uh kitaro is a yokai he's like the last of the yokai family um he's a, a young boy who his father is an eyeball um, with like arms and legs who lives in kitaro's eye socket <laughs> Um, which he has his hair over most of the time. Okay. But then, you know, his father will come out and <laughs> chat with him or take a bath in a teacup or whatever. <laughs> okay, sure. So uh, Kitaro kind of like travels the countryside and um, deals with yokai problems that people are having. So it's really interesting because in Japan they have this whole like legends and like Every different little town had its own yokai that they talked about and whatever. And uh -huh. for a really long time, none of these were like all gathered together. Um, and so then this guy, Shigeru Mizuki, he was like a comics artist. He got into comics after World War II because he lost an arm in the war um, and then was drawing comics and uh, started pulling all these sort of yokai stories together. And so then Kitaro kind of fights these different yokai. Okay. Um, it's super fun. Yeah. It's like, uh, if you like sort of that dark, like, Adam's Family type stuff. Right. You know, this is like kind of in that vein, I think. Okay. Um, then we had Penny Nichols by M.K. Reed, which we talked about. We had Nailbiter by Joshua Williamson. And then the last one was The Drifting Classroom. Yeah, I was tempted by this one. It's pretty good. Um, it's by Katsuo Umez, and it's a uh, so like 
I think of it as Lord of the Flies in Japan. Yeah. What happens is all these kids go to school one day. There's this huge noise and like it feels like an earthquake. And they go outside and the school is like on this completely alien landscape. There's nothing around. There's a bunch of sand outside. And uh, they have no idea what happened. So it kind of turns into a post-apocalyptic apocalyptic survival story. And these kids have one problem after another. Yeah. You know, the teachers are there, but the teachers immediately start, like, killing each other and doing horrible things. <laughs> There's the uh, lunch man uh, who, he basically, you know, is trying to hoard all the food for himself, and the kids have to try and get it back from him and whatever. Um, then their start, monsters start to show up. It's bonkers. <laughs> I like it a lot because um, I wish that when I was in, like, junior high and I read Lord of the Flies, I think that some classes could assign this book instead, Mm. and it's probably more entertaining. Yeah. And it kind of goes down some of the same roads. Or, like, I compare it to, to, like, you know, Hunger Games was a big thing, but years before that they had this book Battle Royale in Japan, Mm -hmm. which was a very similar premise. So Japan is very ahead of us in the, like, uh, kids duking it out in an <laughs> apocalyptic wasteland <laughs> genre. Um, violence, whatever that means. <laughs> violence happening, too, in between kids. Yeah. Which is a weird way to recommend this book. But it's, uh, you know, if you like the kind of thing where it's, like, the characters escape from one peril, basically, out of the frying pan into the fire yeah. every time. Right. Um, this one really keeps it clipping along. You know, every time you're like, well, I'm glad that's over. And it's like, meh, now worst thing it's is like going to happen. It's like the TV series, the half-hour TV series yes. where yes. they get out of one situation only to get right into the next one. Yeah. And usually their solution to one scenario causes a worse scenario, mm. you know, which it's like no one could have predicted this, but you're like, oh boy. <laughs> it's it's bizarre. It's collected in three large editions that we have, and so you can read that entire story as well. Okay. I highly recommend it. Cool. It is a uh, right-to-left read. Oh, okay. So it is the uh, right-to-left style. Um, which some people struggle with, but yeah. it takes a little getting used to, but yeah. I think eventually, yeah, you'll pick it up pretty fast. Yeah. Once you get, once you get used to it, you'll... the hard part is if you put it down, you have to remember not to like open your bookmark and read from, read what you've already read. <laughs> yeah. I was reading it, um, on like a tablet digitally cause I checked it out from Hoopla, I think. Okay. So it was really weird because I am not used to swiping that direction when I'm reading wow. a book. So it was that way even in the t- uh, even in the digital. Yeah, interesting. Which I thought was strange because I was like, really, this is just a gesture that doesn't actually turn a page. Yeah. So they could just reverse the gesture, right? But huh. they keep it they keep it real. All right. And it's just funny. You get to the end and it's like, stop! You're at the end of the book, you know, flip it over and go, and I was like, that wouldn't really be possible in this version, <laughs> but thanks for the advice. <laughs> so those are my books. Cool. That was a nice, a nice assortment of graphic novels for me. Yeah. All right. My four. 
Uh, first, I have Seven Days in June by Tia Williams, which is the romance novel that I read this year, or this not this year, this, this last <laughs> set of weeks. <laughs> and it is, um, it's a heavier romance novel, a bit of angst about it. Um, it's very emotional. And um, the framing setup is, is very interesting because the, the main couple of the book is Eva Mercy, who is a divorced single mom and author of a best-selling series of vampire romances. Mm. And then this guy named Shane Hall, who's a literary author and a critical darling and kind of a mysterious, like, J.D. Salinger-esque figure and uh, also a recovering addict. And the two of them knew each other for a week in high school and had a very, like, intense relationship for that week that... Um, ended terribly because they were both in very troubled places in their lives. Mm. And it's 15 years later and when they encounter each other again, and they've both been writing to each other through their books the whole time. So like if if you knew them and you read the books, you could see that she appears in his books and he appears in hers. And uh, so they've, they've been, there's been this connection between them for 15 years but both of them came from very unhealthy places and they're hopefully in more healthy places now and they're reconnecting. But the question comes up of like, you know, when are you ready to be back in a relationship? What if this mm. relationship triggers things? You know, she is a, a, a divorced mom and has, a, which by the way, her daughter Audra is delightful. <laughs> <laughs> She's totally precocious, um, goes to like a Brooklyn private school because um eva is determined that she's going to get every advantage that she never got as a kid and so she has like this unlicensed private therapy practice she's determined she's going to be a therapist when she grows up so she (laughs) psychoanalyzes her classmates she's very funny and so she but um eva has you know lots of concerns about making sure that her life is stable for her daughter um so yeah, lots of questions about like addiction and obsessive behavior and mental health. Eva has crippling migraines and has had her whole life. So it's about living with disability and it's about creativity and, you know, telling the story of your heart versus telling the story that's going to buy, you know, your kids school clothes. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Really, really good. If you are interested in reading romance, but you kind of cringe at the idea of romance, this mm-hmm. is one that I think has some mainstream elements that right. you might enjoy, you know, for yeah. anybody out there who's wanting to dip their toes in, but not sure where to start or, or not sure whether it's for them. I think this has some crossover appeal. Yeah. It sounds like a little different tone. Yeah. It was re- I thought it was quite good. It showed up on a lot of best of lists last year and I can see why. Yeah. Um, yeah, heavy, but it is a romance novel complete with happily ever after for anyone who is concerned. Um, there will be doubt, <laughs> but fear <laughs> not. Go in with confidence. So, like, if there was a trailer for the movie, it wouldn't be do 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 do. It definitely would not be. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Very little of that. <laughs> Although there are moments of levity. Sure. Uh, then we had Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker, which we talked about, and The Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi. And finally, The Raven Master by Christopher Skyfe, and I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, which is a combination of like history, memoir, 
uh, ornithology, some bird behavior stuff. Uh, and I just want to share his official title. Uh-huh. Um, he is um, Christopher Skyfe, Yeoman Warder of Her Majesty's Royal Palace and Fortress, the Tower of London. He is also the Raven Master at the Tower of London. So he's one of those guys in like the red velvet uniforms. They call oh, yeah. feeders, you know? Mm-hmm. He's one of those guys with the fancy uniform. And he writes about the birds and... Um, Merlina, I think, is one of the birds that hates him, <laughs> so <laughs> has always hated him. Um, he talks about how smart they are. They can recognize people. Um, corvids in general, that's like ravens, jays, crows, um, and ravens are some of the smartest of all of them. Mm. Um, one of their favorite enrichment things to do for the birds is, you know that um, game Kerplunk? Mm-hmm. They have a Kerplunk that they put a dead mouse in, and you have to like pull the sticks out to get the dead mouse. <laughs> and they do that for the birds. It's one of their favorite games. <laughs> so the birds will pull. So Kerplunk is the one you've got a cylinder. Yes. With like a bunch of basically sticks. spaghetti strick sticks yeah. that stick all the way through and you pull it out. And when you play it, you're normally trying to not get the marbles to fall through. Right. But in this case, they're trying to get the yes. dead mouse. Trying to get to the mouse. <laughs> And this is some evidence about them using tools. Apparently, some bird researchers have said that ravens are more like primates in the way they think than they are like birds. Mm. Um, they're super, super smart. They, there's evidence that they have imagination. Uh, they can predict outcomes and plan. They work as teams. They play. <laughs> like, they roll around in the snow. They play dead um, <laughs> to steal, like, coins or food. Um, they're super smart. I'm a bit, I love ravens and crows and jays and, you know, all of those birds because they're so smart. I find them fascinating. There's tons of information in like mythology about them. You know, Hugin and Munin, who are Odin's ravens in Mm -hmm. Norse mythology, thought and memory. And, um, you know, in a lot of Native American mythology, ravens are super important. So he goes into a lot of that. He writes a little bit about how he was in the military and how he became a yeoman warder, how he got the job working at the Tower of London. I guess Elizabeth II actually slept in the Tower of London the night before her coronation, which is tradition. Um, they, the yeoman warders live there, so he literally lives in the Tower of London. Wow. Um, yeah. Weird. Lots of cool information about that. That's where the crown jewels are. Does he live like in, is it like a modern apartment in the, the tower? Well, I mean, there aren't any modern apartments there. It's yeah. like a protected um, heritage building. Right. So there are um, the staff of the the tower who live there, they live in what they call the casemates, uh-huh. which used to be where they would store and shoot guns in case of a siege. Uh-huh. And they've been adapted into apartments. Ah. So they're on the outer walls, kind of built in between the walls. So the walls are very, very wide. Right. Like you can walk on top of them and like, right. so, you know, there's room for a house in between the walls. <laughs> and that's where the casemates are. And um, that's where the yeoman warders live. So weird. I know. It's crazy. It's cool, though. And, you know, he, wand- he walks his dog in the moat, which is now dry. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he keeps, like, all of the raven supplies. One of his, their favorite treats is to have dog biscuits soaked in blood. Mm. And so he has just bags of dog biscuits, and it, he keeps it all in the Bloody Tower, which is where they um, <laughs> discovered the walled-in remains of the, the two young boys. Like, he's just surrounded with history every day at work. 
part of his job is to give these tours of the tower. Mm -hmm. So he talks a lot about how you have to learn like the entire history of the tower and be able to recite it word for word before you're allowed to start giving tours. And then you can start like improvising once you have it down pat. (laughs) So he talks about that. Just lots, if you're interested in Ravens or the Tower of London, I would say it's definitely worth a read. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. I really, I mean, I like it. It's, it's a very niche book. Of course, but yeah. But it's right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I think it's kind of fun, though. I think there's like, uh, what do they say? Like, you know, the specific is the universal. Mm. And it's like, oh, how does he walk his dog? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's interesting. Yeah. What know. is it like to live in a place where you look out onto, like, Tower Bridge and this destroyer in the Thames, and you can see, like, St. Paul's Cathedral over the wall. Yeah. Like, it's bananas. It's like, I microwaved a lean cuisine. Yeah. And I ate it on the Tower Green where Anne Boleyn was the head. (laughs) (laughs) So odd. Yeah. Huh. It's cool, though. I I think, like, the closest American, you know, version of that would be. I don't know that there is one. Like, what's a historic site? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and there's only one of them, and there has been a Raven Master since the um, just after World War II. There's been an official Raven Master. Before that, all of the um, all of the Yeoman Warders were responsible for caring for the birds. Caring, you know, right. they weren't necessarily great at it. Right. But yeah, there have been ravens since the time of Charles the First or Charles the Second, which was after Cromwell. You know, all of that, the Civil Wars, and then the monarchy was restored. And uh, Charles the the Second, um, he came to the Tower of London, and there was an astrono- uh, an astronomer on the roof of the White Tower, and he said, "Hey, can you get rid of these ravens? Right. They're blocking the view." <laughs> and he said, "Sure." And then somebody was like, "Actually, Your Majesty, like, there have always been ravens here, and we just got out of a civil war and a plague and the Great Fire of London." And maybe getting rid of the ravens that have always been here might not be a good look. (laughs) So instead of getting rid of them, he wrote a proclamation that at least six ravens have to be maintained at the Tower of London at all times. Must be very awkward to have to talk someone down from... Yeah. Let's get rid of these ravens. (laughs) Maybe let's don't. You know. Okay. That's first thought. (laughs) Alternative. (laughs) We could do the opposite of that yeah. for all time. <laughs> so that's the kind of fun anecdote you'll get in this book. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, there you go. We did it. Yeah. We did we it again. Some interesting ones this, this round. Yeah. And then next month, yeah. poetry month. I know. I pledge to, to read something that people will find interesting, all even right. if you don't like poetry. I pledge to do my best. We'll do it. I am not as well versed in poetry as you. So I'm just going to go for stuff that catches my interest and hope for the best. I think it'll work out. All right. I think we'll be fine. I hope so. But uh, yeah, I'll try and I'm going to try and read something that's interesting to talk about. Cool. Maybe we could share a couple, a couple favorites. If we're reading aloud, you have to do it. I'll have to bring my, uh, my Shakespeare air filter. That's right. To put around my neck. (laughs) I barely feel confident talking about poetry. I do not feel confident reading it aloud. <laughs> Maybe you, I'll find you a real short one, mm. like a two-liner. I don't know. I've got, I've got the perfect one for you. I don't, I don't think so. I think I'm going to uh, say no. 
All right. I'll bring it. And All then right. you can decide if it's too intense. I think you'll like it. Is this your uh, bad poetry yes. or noetry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyone can read that, right? <laughs> it's a poem. It rhymes. I can read a little Shel Silverstein, maybe. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time, yeah, everybody. Thanks for being here.